If you would this morning turn to the book of Luke, we're going to take a break from our series through uh, the Ten Commandments. Uh, we'll, Lord willing, be coming back to that next week. But this, this morning, uh, I, I wanted to look uh, to a particular passage in the Gospels, Luke chapter 10, and uh, see some lessons for biblical womanhood, lessons for biblical womanhood. This is a, a wonderful story here, and we see uh, some things, I think, that can encourage our, our women, and, and in reality, in so many ways, are really applicable to all of us. So Luke chapter 10 and verse number 38. Now, as they went on their way, Jesus entered a village, and a woman named Martha welcomed him into her house. And she had a sister named Mary who sat at the Lord's feet and listened to his teaching. But Martha was distracted with much serving. And she went up to him and said, Lord, do you not care that my sister has left me to serve alone? Tell her to, then to help me. But the Lord answered her, Martha, Martha, you are anxious and troubled about many things. But one thing is necessary. Mary has chosen the good portion which will not be taken away from her. You know, as we come to this text, and as we even just come to this day, a day to recognize, to give honor to whom honor is due, our, our mothers, one of the things that is just becoming so abundantly clear is that there is such a confusion about gender. There is such a confusion about manhood and womanhood in, in our culture. We saw just this week, uh, in the news, if you keep up with the news, perhaps you saw this, that there was uh, someone who, who used the term right here, right, coming up on Mother's Day, and, and referred to mothers as birthing persons. Uh, now, I'm not even going to get into the confusion that would lead someone to think that the, the best way uh, to, to speak about mothers is to call them a birthing person, but, but just suffice it to say uh, that there's a lot of confusion that leads up to that point. And then... There, there's other things in the news that we've heard repeatedly now uh, when it comes to sexual abuse. And, and there was more of that in the news in the past week or two. Uh, just more accounts of sexual abuse that have, have come out against women and children. And we just see that there is another distortion, another wicked and vile perversion of sexuality and gender and, and just thinking about uh, women in, in general. And, and those two types of things are, are all over the place. There's all kinds of confusion. And so it, it's helpful then for us as God's people to come back to his word and to think about womanhood, to think about these things. And we're going to get into this text. And what we're going to see here is that this text doesn't encompass everything that we need to know or think about womanhood. That's not the, the point of this. And, and yet I think there are a few uh, key truths that we can draw, as I mentioned earlier, uh, specifically for, for women, but uh, many of them apply for all of us. In fact, I'm, we're going to look at three this morning. The first one is just this. Biblical womanhood is valued by Jesus. Biblical womanhood is valued by Jesus one of the things that if you know any history at all or you know anything about the world, uh, it's easy to recognize that because of sin in the world that women have been mistreated in awful ways throughout history. 
And, and sometimes maybe it's easier when we're sitting in, in our world and maybe you haven't experienced that particularly in your situation. Let's just say we have been blessed in so many ways, but, but around the world even now, in uh, many places, and certainly throughout history, that has not been the case for so many women. You see, sin distorts God's good design. It always does that. God created and he ordained things like structures of authority within society. And, and he created and ordained sexuality to be a good thing. But, but you see what Satan does and what sin does is that it comes in and it corrupts those things, taking what is good and beautiful and making it debased and dark. Perhaps few things have been as distorted as the relationship between men and women. Men have often sinfully played on their physical strength and their God-given role of authority within the home to subjugate and abuse women. The history of humanity is not good when it comes to the treatment of women. I was just talking and Bonnie was sharing with me, uh, I mentioned our missionaries earlier, and Josh and Stacy Lee Hutchins who serve in, in Africa, they do a podcast. I encourage you to listen. It's a good way to keep up with what they're doing and to be able to pray with them uh, or for them about things that are going on in their ministry. Uh, but she was just sharing with me even now in, in this country in, in Africa uh, that uh, many of the women, they were telling the story that uh, when, when some of these girls are converted and they, they go to baptize them, they're, they're just petrified of the water. And one of the things that they said has happened is that these young girls from the earliest ages are just taken out and, and their job is to work with their mother. Like that's, that's what they do. They're, they're not given the opportunity to go play and to swim in the creek. And so many of them have, have never been in the water. And so they're terrified when it comes time to be baptized. And they said some other things, you know, that are so typical of, of many places throughout history and in many places even now uh, some of these girls are married off at a very young age uh, not really uh, what necessarily what they want but that's just what's expected of them uh, there, there's no opportunity for education there's no opportunity for so many of the things that we want for our wives and our daughters the the women that we love and and care about we see other things as i've already mentioned there was abuse and and there still is today and it's so prevalent in in our culture this culture that is supposedly all for uh, liberation for women and, and all of these kinds of things have, have become a very dangerous and dark places for women in, in so many ways. There are accounts after accounts of women who have been abused and, and mistreated, uh, who have been taken advantage of. And what's really disturbing to me is that so many of these stories are coming out of churches. They're coming out of places that ought to be safe for women, where women ought to be loved and, and respected with, with dignity, and, and yet story after story is, is coming out. And, it, and it's becoming abundantly evident that these things are true and that in many places, in even many churches, uh, this, this kind of thing is going on. And, and what's even worse is that in some places, uh, in, in some churches, there, the people are using theology to, to help this make sense and, and to kind of be able to, to get their foot in the door, so to speak, uh, to, to be able to practice these kind of devilish 
behaviors. Women are, are encouraged to submit to men who are abusive and, and they are encouraged to forgive. After all, Jesus wants us to forgive. Well, listen, those are, those are good things. The Bible does teach biblical submission and, and the Bible does teach that we ought to forgive, no doubt about those things. But women are not called to submit to oppressive, wicked behavior and forgiveness does not mean that you turn a blind, blind eye to such evil actions. There, there are many of these kinds of abuses. And these two illustrations really highlight two of the chief ways I think that women have been mistreated throughout history. One is, is to be subjugated, to be treated as less than. They can't get education. They're, they don't have the ability to reason. They're not, uh, they're, they don't have the mental capabilities that, that men have, and they need to be kept in their place. And then the second is that women are often viewed as objects whose main function is the sexual gratification of men. These things were very much true of the culture that Jesus lived in as well. It's easy to overstate those and, and we don't want to act as if every who, woman who has ever lived or every woman who lived in the culture of Jesus' day was mistreated in this way and yet uh, this was sort of the, the system uh, that was in vogue in that day. Broadly speaking, women were often confined to the domestic sphere and, and were not given the opportunity to learn and, and to engage in matters of, of intellect. But what we notice in here, and the reason I'm bringing this up, is, is that we see that Jesus is very countercultural in the way that he treats the women that are mentioned in this passage, Mary and Martha. And we see this at other places in the gospel in the way that he interacts with women. In, in contrast to all that we've just been discussing, about the abuses and the way that women have been mistreated, it's interesting that in this passage we get a glimpse into the way that Jesus viewed and honored women or treated women. And what we could say is this. I think when we look at this text and we look at other places, we could say that Jesus valued and honored women and treated them with integrity in ways that were countercultural. Jesus treated women in a way that was honorable, in a way that was equitable, in a way that demonstrated their worth and their value in the eyes of God. And this stood out in stark contrast. This was, this was very different from the culture that he lived in and very different in some ways than the culture we live in. We cannot miss the fact here that Jesus honored these women. Now, some people read scripture and and we know that there's, there's a push toward feminism and, a, and, a, and another extreme on the other end of thinking about the role of women. And Jesus certainly was not a feminist. He, he certainly upheld certain distinctions between men and women as good things, as part of God's design. And yet we can't miss that he honored them. There's, there's three ways that I look at here and see that, that Jesus honored these women. The first is this, that he honored them by including them as friends. The act of even just going to their home demonstrated the kind of friendship that really would have been unique for somebody in Jesus' position to extend to, to these women. Mary and Martha, here it is clear, it, they're on their own. We don't know what the case was. We don't know uh, if they had never married. We don't know if they were widows. Perhaps, probably, I would lean to think that Martha was probably a widow because we see in verse number 38 that this is her, uh, the, the, her home. She owned this home. And, and that was the home that Jesus came into. But whatever their situation, it's clear that they were not attached to 
a man. And, and in this culture, it was so easy for women in that position who didn't have a man to work and to provide for them, who didn't have a man to protect them. It, it was so easy for women like that to just be swept aside, to be forgotten, to be marginalized and, and looked at as if they were unimportant. But Jesus doesn't do that. He honors these women. He treats them uh, with, with this honor and with this respect. And, and he treats them as friends. He engages with them. It was an honor. One of the things we need to understand was an honor for somebody like Jesus, a rabbi or a teacher, when he would come into a town to stay in someone's home. That, that was a high honor. Just think about Zacchaeus. You remember the story of Zacchaeus? And Jesus comes to Zacchaeus and he talks, Jesus, Zacchaeus is up in the tree and what does Jesus say to him? I'm coming to your house today. Come on down, get down. I'm going to your house. And, and how does everyone around react when, when Jesus goes to, to Zacchaeus' house? It says, and when they saw it, they grumbled. He, he was gone uh, to be a guest with someone who was a sinner. And, and the idea behind this is that Zacchaeus is not worthy of this great man. He's doing all of these miracles. He's teaching like no one has ever taught. He, Jesus should not go honor a tax collector. You think of the centurion. Remember when the centurion had uh, a, a child that was sick and, and he said, Jesus, I'm not even worthy to have you come into my home. So, so there was a clear idea that Jesus going and staying with someone, what was an act of, of honoring them and blessing them in that way. And this honor would have normally been granted to someone who had prominence. It would have normally been granted, almost certainly it would have been a man, someone who was worthy of, of this kind of honor. But Jesus doesn't do that. When he comes to this town, when he comes to this place, he honors these women. He, he demonstrates this friendship and this kindness to them. Jesus did care about them. He didn't neglect them. He didn't see them as someone who's unimportant because they're widows and, and you know, they don't have any family. Clearly, it seems that they don't have any children. And, and so often, that, that would have just been the mentality that, that most people would have had. The second thing that we see is that Jesus welcomed them, even, even more remarkable, Jesus welcomed them as disciples. We see here uh, Mary, it says that she's sitting at the feet of Jesus, and, and Jesus here is, is teaching her. Uh, we, we, we get the idea that he really is teaching in verse number 39. It, it says that Mary was sitting at his feet, listening to his teaching. That, that literally means listening to his word. Jesus is doing what he does so often. He's gathering his disciples, he's gathering his followers around him, and he's providing instruction to them. That expression, to sit at someone's feet, is, is clearly the idea of, of learning. When you sit at someone's feet in that culture, you were a student. There were no universities there, uh, so there were people who were known to be uh, intelligent philosophers and rabbis and teachers and and the way that you got an education is that that rabbi would let you come and sit at his feet and you just traveled around with the teacher with the philosopher whoever and and he would lecture and he would teach you and that's what this expression means in fact when you look at acts chapter 22 verse 3 when paul is talking about himself he said i sat at the feet i was educated at the feet of gamaliel that was Paul saying, I was trained by this rabbi. That's where I went to school, so to speak. And so when we see Mary here, 
sitting at the feet of Jesus. They're not just conversing about, well, how was your trip? How, how have things been going? I'm sure that there was some of that, but Jesus here is clearly providing instruction. He is allowing this woman to come and to be his disciple. This demonstrates what is clear in other places in the Gospels, and that is that Jesus included women among his disciples. He honored them in, in that way. Now, it's clear, again, Jesus was not an egalitarian. He, he called uh, men to be the apostles. There was a, a leadership that was given to men in this role, and, and yet he included these women among his disciples. And that certainly was something that would have been countercultural in that day. You know, unfortunately, throughout church history, the people of God have often been unduly influenced by the world in the way that we think about women. Christians have often been more, more shaped by the cultural norms of their day than by Christ's word and by his example. And, and I, I want to be careful here because, again, uh, the force of our culture today is pushing us to just get rid of any distinctions. And yet I think we've got to be careful on the other side, even as we try to maintain a biblical view of men and women and the certain roles that they're given. I, I think we need to be careful that we don't go too far on this side. And certainly that's been the greater sin throughout, throughout church history. The greater sin has to been, been to subjugate, to, to relegate women to, you know, hey, that's your business. You just go over there and cook or, or you take care of the kids, but you don't need to be here studying the word. You don't need to be a disciple. You don't need to be involved in this rigorous kind of uh, training, so to speak. But that's not the way that Jesus treats these women. He invites them to be his disciples. We think of even in the early church, we see prominent women. Who, who are involved, who have clearly been discipled, and they're, they're taking an active part in, in helping uh, disciple other people. We see people like Aquila and Priscilla, a, a couple who, when, when Apollos comes, they take him aside, and, and they offer counsel to him. They, they teach him. They instruct him uh, in, in the way. And so it is for women today. Listen, you have a vital role in the work of the church. There are certain offices, there are certain things uh, that, that are specifically uh, for the, the work of men, qualified men that God calls and, and appoints, and yet that does not uh, relegate you to just say, hey, you know, you, you be responsible for bringing the food for a community group, or you be responsible for taking care of the kids. There are vital roles that women play in this work of making disciples. The third thing that we see is that Jesus loved them with purity. The way that Jesus treated these women was indicative of the fact that he loved them. John 11, in fact, tells us, now Jesus loved Martha and her sister, Mary and Lazarus, who was their, their brother. What we see playing out in this story here, all of these things that I've been talking about, is just Jesus' expression of love for these women. Jesus doesn't see these women merely as convenient, like, hey, I know they'll take care of us. I know that they'll let us stay at their house, so let's go there, and then we'll get on with our really important business. We'll call the men over, and we'll have a, a, a big discussion, but we'll let them provide food for us. In fact, what we see later is that Jesus kind of invites Martha to say, hey, you should be coming and sitting and listening to this and, and heeding my, my teaching. But Jesus here is just demonstrating an act of love for them. A love that desires what's best for these women. 
It desires to build them up. It desires to engage them in a dignified way. And, and one of the things that we see here is that he loved them with purity. He loved them with a purity. He is not here as many men would be in any culture with sinister intentions. Some unbelieving scholars, when, when they look at Jesus and Jesus' interaction with these different women, uh, there have been speculation uh, that, that perhaps Jesus had some sort of relationship with Mary Magdalene. That's actually a different Mary than, than this Mary. But what we see is that there's no evidence for that at all. And, and really what's driving so much of that, one, is the unbelief of these supposed scholars. Uh, but, but secondly, I think we just see that the natural inclination of men is to think that that if Jesus had some relationship with women, it had to be sexual. There had to be something there because that's just the way that men tend to think. But Jesus doesn't look at these women as, as an object for sexual gratification. He looks at them as dignified and, and, and worthy to be brought into this ministry that he has. He was not there uh, in the case of Mary and Martha as so many men, as, as a predator looking to to see what he can get out of this relationship. And let me just say this, men in this church, Jesus is a model for us. As I've already mentioned with these cases of abuse, that unfortunately far too often within the church, men have used the closeness of relationships within the body of Christ in a predatory way. There's no place for that in the church of God. There is no place for that at all. Men, you should not be viewing and thinking about your sisters in Christ in that way. In fact, Paul urges Timothy in this way. In, in 1 Timothy 5.1, Timothy is a young man and he's telling him how he's relate, he is to relate to different groups within the church. He says, don't rebuke an older man, but encourage him as you would a father. Younger men as brothers, older women as mothers, younger women as sisters, and then he says this, in all purity. That should be our mindset. We should be honoring women. We, we should be loving them, but in a way that is with all purity. The stories of sexual abuse and predatory behavior in the workplace, in, in our culture, are, are atrocious. Let's just say that. They are atrocious. But the fact that this is happening so often and with regularity within the church is nothing short of an abomination. Men, if you find yourself viewing women of this church in that way, you need to repent. You need to distance yourself from those, any situations where that may be, where you may be a danger to others. You need to confide in, in a faithful brother who will hold you accountable and, and, and help you with that. And you need to probably stop feeding your mind images and, and fantasies and thoughts that lead you to view women in that way. Just look at, at these women and just imagine how safe and dignified they felt in a culture that, that viewed them as unimportant, insignificant, and if there was any value in it, it was probably in some kind of sexualized way or, or in order for them to have children or functionally what they could produce. But just think about how safe and how dignified these women felt when they were with Jesus. There was no doubt for them that they were going to be assaulted or abused or that he was thinking in impure ways about them. Man, let's, let's ensure that Union Baptist Church is such a place. We can't fix the problem out in the world. I mean, it's, it's rampant 
and, and we're not going to be able to fix that. We can't even necessarily fix you know, the problems within the Southern Baptist Convention or within evangelical Christianity and the abuse problem that is there. But, but this church can be a light in this dark world. We should be a place that encourages women to be all that they can and should be as followers of Christ and that does that in a safe and loving environment. We see also here that biblical womanhood, secondly, embraces. They won't all be this long, so if you're looking at your watch, biblical womanhood embraces loving service for Jesus. Biblical womanhood embraces loving service for Jesus. We see here, we're going to see that Martha is rebuked. You know this story, I'm sure. Martha is rebuked because she's serving and she isn't taking time to listen to Jesus. But, but I think one of the things that we can gloss over and miss, and, and what I don't want us to miss, is just to notice the, the, the way that Martha is serving Jesus. Martha loves the Savior and, and she's serving him. There's something about the way that she's serving him that needs to be corrected. And Jesus is going to do that, and we'll look at that in a minute. But, but we need to not miss the fact that she is serving Jesus. One of the things that we got to recognize is that, humanly speaking, Jesus was dependent upon the hospi hospitality and the care of women like Mary and Martha. We know Jesus said in, in Luke chapter 9 uh, that, that the Son of Man has no place to lay his head. He had an itinerant ministry where he's traveling from town to town. And in that day, there was no, you know, Howard Johnson. There was no days in. Uh, you went and you were dependent upon the goodwill of people to welcome you in and, and to provide hospitality. And what we see in the Gospels is that so often the people who provide that hospitality, the people who make the meals, the people who serve Jesus, the people who care for him are women, as in this case. God could have provided some miraculous way for, for Jesus, but, but it was God's will to use the ordinary means of the loving hospitality and service of godly women to provide for Jesus' physical needs. These women cared for the needs of Jesus. In fact, you could look, we won't read there now, but there was a group of women who are mentioned in Luke chapter 8 who said that they provided for Jesus out of their means. And so we just see this over and over in the Gospels. And, and I think it's a wonderful pattern for, for all of us, really, to think about our role of service, but particularly when we see these women who are so given to care for the needs of Christ. And when you contrast that with the apostles who are so thoughtless, who, who don't seem to really care at all for Jesus, in fact, they, they typically seem to be thinking about themselves and how Jesus is going to meet their needs, how Jesus is going to take care of them. It's just a stark contrast to see the godly character of these woman, women who are thinking, how can I meet Jesus' needs? How, how can I provide for Jesus? You think back to when Jesus was at one feast and Mary Magdalene comes in and, and anoints him. And, and everybody's like, I can't believe if you knew what kind of woman that was, you wouldn't let her uh, anoint your feet and, and so forth. But Jesus said, when I came in, none of you, none of you washed my feet. None of you anointed me. But this woman is doing that. And, and, and that was just a rebuke to the, the disciples, the apostles, everyone that was at this feast. Jesus should have been honored in that way. Somebody should have cared for him. Remember when Jesus washes the disciples' feet in the upper room? All the disciples are thinking, I'm not going to do that, right? 
that would have been customary for somebody after you've been traveling out on these dirty roads and you're sitting down at a meal. It would have been customary for someone to wash the feet. But none of the disciples are like, let's just eat with dirty feet because I ain't washing your feet and I ain't that worried about it, right? But Jesus girds himself and, and serves him. And so when we see the, the apostles and the way that they tend to think, and then we see these women who so care for Christ, it, it, it's a stark contrast. Jesus commends service as one of the greatest things that you can do. Je Jesus commends service as one of the greatest things that you can do. He says for, in Luke chapter 22, for who is the greater, the one who reclines at the table or the one who serves? Is it not the one who reclines at the table? But I am among you as one who serves. And in Matthew 23, verse 11, he says, the greatest among you shall be your servant. So let's not miss what Martha is doing here. Let's not miss the fact that, that she is humbly serving our Lord. I think it would be a misreading of this text to assume that there's nothing here to be commended about Martha. Ladies, let me just say in, in application to this, and this is one of those points that really applies to all of us because all of us are to serve, but I want to make particular application to you, uh, and that is that you should embrace roles of service. You should embrace roles of service. Women, as followers of Christ, you should embrace roles of service, not primarily because you're a woman and that's your job and that's what women are supposed to do, but because you are a follower of Christ who was the greatest servant of all. I'm highlighting this fact particularly because I think there's a mindset in our day because of the subjugation, because of the abuse, there's a mindset for many women in our day that I just want to push away from all of that service. That it's not just woman's work and I don't want to give myself. I don't want to be viewed as a servant. I don't want to engage in those kinds of behaviors. I've got more important things to do. And so there's sort of a rejection by some women or a bristling or even a despising of roles of service as, as if that's not something I want to do. But I think if we're followers of Christ, we need to be careful. Women, you need to be careful that you don't allow the sins of others to lead you to despise what is good, to despise service. Women, don't listen to the culture that tells you that serving others is demeaning and, and beneath you. That is a demonic voice and not the voice of your Savior. We should embrace, all of us, roles of service. Martha and these other ladies are, are such a good example in that way. And, and one thing that you need to understand, Martha, we, it's clear here that she seems like, Lord, you've forgotten me. Everybody's forgotten me. I'm over here serving and, and people are just forgetting me. I'm the only one working and, and people are thoughtless. But one of the things that you need to recognize, ladies, and all of us really, is that when you serve, it, it may seem like it's going unnoticed now, but if you're serving with the right heart, if you're serving for the Lord, it will not be forgotten. By God's grace, he will reward your service. Remember what Jesus said in Matthew 10, it, whoever gives a cup of water, to, to one of these little ones, to one of his followers, a cup of cold water because he is a disciple. Truly, I say to you, he will or she will by no means lose his reward. You may feel like your service is forgotten, but it is not. By God's grace, there is a great reward 
in serving. Thirdly, the third lesson that we see this morning is that biblical womanhood prioritizes communion with Jesus. Biblical womanhood prioritizes communion with Jesus. And so you may be saying here, you know, well, if this service is good, why does Jesus need to rebuke Martha? Why, why, does, he, why does he seem to give her a hard time about this? Well, I think one of the things that we, we can recognize, as I mentioned earlier, is not the fact that Martha is serving, but the manner in which she's serving that, and the attitude that she has in that that is rebuked. And, and Martha's problematic approach toward service is really threefold. So, so first, she has a distorted view of service. And second, this led her then to have a disgruntled attitude about service toward her sister and perhaps even to Christ. And then third, this led her to wrongly prioritize service for Jesus over communion with Jesus. And so let's just look at Martha's wrong view of service. Martha is operating with her own set of cultural norms, uh, the way that things would be done. Martha was doing what the culture would have told her would be expected of women in this role. There was nothing wrong with that in and of itself. The idea of service we've seen is a good thing. Serving is good, a good and loving thing. The problem was that she, was absol she absolutized this cultural expectation as if it were the most important thing, as if it was the essential thing. In her mind, what really mattered the most was that Jesus be fed. She didn't see that her own soul needed to be fed. Because she saw feeding Jesus and, and ministering to him in this way as the priority over everything else, it very, very quickly, as, as it does when we get things out of order, it very quickly led to an inordinate or, or out-of-balance priority. She didn't merely want to see to it that, that Jesus had adequate food to sustain and provide the physical nutrition that he needed, which, would, which was maybe what was needed. It, it appears really that she wanted to provide the best. She, she wanted to lay out a spread for Jesus. Here this is, Jesus has come to our house. The, the disciples are here. This is big time. This is my moment to shine. I've got to put all of my culinary skills, all of my homemaking skills on display for everyone to see. Jesus isn't just going to get fed. He's going to have a feast. Notice that seems to be what's, what the case is. In verse number 40, you notice that. It says, but Martha was distracted with much service, with much service. And, and I think the writer there, the gospel writer, I think includes that little word much just to give you the notion of what's going on here. It isn't just the fact that she's serving Jesus or making sure, you know, hey, here's a ham sandwich or something. Well, they were Jews. They didn't eat ham sandwiches, so maybe that's not right. Uh, peanut butter and jelly, you know, that there were options probably that could have been quicker. Maybe it took some time in that culture, but, but there, were, there were easier options. But Martha is consumed here with much service. You see, because this was the priority, because this was the most important thing, then it becomes this big deal to her. It becomes inordinate and out of balance. Calvin says this about this text. He says, though the hospitality of Martha deserve commendation and is commended, yet there were two faults in which are pointed out by Christ. The first is that Martha carried her activity beyond proper bounds. For Christ would have rather chosen to be entertained in a frugal manner 
and at moderate expense than that the holy woman should have submitted to so much toil. The second fault was that Martha, by distracting her attention and undertaking more labor than was necessary, deprived herself of the advantage of Christ's visit. The excess is pointed out by Luke when he speaks of much serving, for Christ was satisfied with little. Women, while you may naturally gravitate towards service, it's very easy, and you need to guard against it, it's very easy for that to get out of balance. Our hearts, all of us, men and women, our hearts are so quick to make good things into idols, to take things that should be good, something like serving Jesus food. Like, that's a wonderful thing. But, but we so quickly raise that up to a level that is out of proportion, and we make an idol out of that. When it becomes an idol, it loses all the value, all its value as an act of obedience and worship to God. Here, here's how it works. You get recognition, either in your own mind or, or by the praise of other people. And you love that praise or you love the feeling that it gives you to serve other people. And so you want people to see how much food you can cook and how good it is and how clean your house is and how attuned you are to the needs of your guests and how well you take care of your children and how crafty you are and what a de good decorator you are and on and on and on. And in the end, this act of service turns away from an others focused into me. It's all about me. I'm putting myself on display. Look at what a good cook I am. Look at how great I can provide. Look at how clean my house is, right? It's the, the, the attention is turned away from serving others or serving the Lord, and it really becomes about serving me, getting praise and getting the applause of, of other people. And that was certainly Martha's wrong priority here. Jesus is showing Martha that while her service is praiseworthy, in itself, yet she had wrongly prioritized it. Jesus is showing her that there's something that's more important. Again, Calvin, just to remind you of those words, she deprived herself of the advantage of Christ's visit. She deprived herself of the advantage of Christ's visit. Jesus, as I mentioned, moved around. He was, had an itinerant ministry, so he was going all over the place. So the amount of time that he would be able to spend with somebody like this was very limited. So, so just imagine today that Jesus shows up at your house. Just imagine that he is there and, and that he's teaching about the mysteries of the kingdom. But instead of sitting and learning from him, you're worried about if you have enough side dishes, if the mashed potatoes are in the right bowl, if there's enough seats at the table, if the floor has been swept, if the roast is done just right, he can eat roast, so that's good. If the desserts are, are going to turn out, you, you feel so overwhelmed because you want this meal for Jesus to be perfect. And then you look and see somebody sitting at Jesus' feet and they're just re relaxed and they're listening and they're soaking in his teaching. And, and so you interrupt Jesus. Just a minute, Jesus, I know you're teaching about these great mysteries of your kingdom, and this is important, but do you see I'm working here? Do you see I'm trying to put this meal together? And look how important this is. And, and I want it to be perfect. And look at her, she's just sitting there, just listening to you. Would you tell her to get up and come over here and help serve? That's, that's what's going on here. Martha definitely had a wrong 
priority. That, that wrong priority leads to anger. One of the telltale signs that, that you've made an idol even out of something good like service is when you become angry about it. You would think that serving other people would be the ultimate act of love, but when we make it about ourselves, we become disgruntled in, in our service, and that's exactly what Martha does. If your service to other people is a tool for getting angry and despising other people, it's, it's not a genuine act of service. I had a story in here about my mom. I'm not going to tell that because it's Mother's Day. She doesn't usually listen to my sermons, but there, there, there is an occasion that she might listen to the sermon. So I'm just going to skip over that. But Mama got, Mama got angry sometimes when people were coming over, and, and she needed to serve them, and she did so much. Now I'm telling the story, so I'll move on. But wrong priorities lead to anxiousness as well. Here in verse number 41, look at what Jesus says to Martha. Martha, Martha, you are anxious and troubled about so many things. You see, when you wrongly prioritize service for Jesus over communion with Jesus, it leads to this kind of anxiousness. This happens because we've put service or even something that is sometimes a good thing or should be a good thing, we've put it in the wrong place. We've, we've disordered it. Service has become an end in itself. And no doubt, especially in this culture, Martha would have seen her ability to provide a top-notch hospitality for Jesus as sort of a source of pride and a badge of honor. So you can just see her playing that out in her mind, what it would be like after I serve Jesus this meal. You know, he's going to sound like Andy Griffith, you know, after Aunt B's cooked something. Mmm, Aunt B, I guarantee, right? That's what she's just hoping for, like just to get that pat on the back and to get, oh, this is so wonderful. It's a badge of honor for her, but because she had prioritized it this way, over even communion with Christ, uh, it leads to this anxiousness. You're, you're anxious about so many things. Women, service in its proper places is actually a marker of greatness in, in Christ's kingdom. But out of place, and this is going to sound strange to you, out of place, it's sinful. It will lead to anger. It will lead to anxiety. And it is rebuked by Christ here. He says in Luke chapter 12, don't be anxious about your life. What you will eat. That, that, that's not something you, you need to put all of that anxiety on yourself. Listen, it's a wonderful thing that you want to serve your family, that you want to serve your husband, that you want to serve your children, that you want to serve in those ways in the church. We, we delight in that. But, but if you put it out of place as, this, as if this is the badge of honor, as if this is how you really demonstrate your worth and your value, it's going to lead to anxiousness. Instead, Jesus says, Seek the kingdom of God, and these things will be added to you. And notice what Jesus says here as we bring this to a close this morning. Notice what he says. Martha, Martha, you're anxious and troubled about many things, but one thing is really necessary. Mary has chosen the good portion, which will not be taken from her. Jesus is, is using hyperbole here. He's saying there's one thing that's necessary. He's just making a radical statement to, to demonstrate and drive home the point. This is what should, you should really be focused on. It's, it's not as if serving and providing food, as if that's completely unnecessary. Uh, that's, that's not the case. But he's saying, listen, you've got it out of order, and what you need to recognize, Martha, is that this is what is really the most important thing, that you have communion with me 
that you sit at my feet, that you listen. We, we can take care of food later. This, I, I don't need a banquet. I don't need a feast. What, what you really need for your soul is to come and rest at my feet and to listen to me. Ladies, what you need more than anything is to come and to rest at the Savior's feet. The culture may t- be telling you different ways that you can find your identity, different ways that you as a woman can prove your worth like Martha was trying to do here, different ways that you can demonstrate that you've got it all together. You know, the old culture is telling you, you know, just be super mom, serve your family, be there at every event in their life, pack them the perfect lunch, be sure that they get their homework done, be sure that your husband's needs are met, the house is well maintained, and if you do all of that, that's really going to prove your worth. You're going to demonstrate you are just a good, solid woman. The new culture will will tell you that you need to be a working mom. You've got to have a successful career. You've got to be able to prove yourself that you're more than just a mom. You've got to prove yourself uh, that you can do what what men are able to do. And you have to help provide financially for, for your family so your kids can wear the cool clothes that your parents could never afford and, and have all the neat experiences that you never had. And you have to balance all of that and still adequately meet the needs of your family. And if you do that, then you can really prove yourself as a woman. But here, Jesus said there's really one thing that is necessary for you. Come and rest at his feet. Listen to him. Give priority to Christ in your life. I quoted that passage earlier this morning. Come to me, all you who labor and are heavy laden, and I will give you rest. Some of you women are are working so hard to to try to prove yourself, to try to prove yourself as a homemaker, to try to prove yourself as a mother, to try to prove yourself as a woman. And what you really need to do is come and rest at the feet of Jesus. When you prioritize Christ, these other things will find their proper place. You can work and you can serve your family and, and, and so uh, in, in a way that does not look to those things in an effort to prove your worth or value as a woman. Notice what Jesus says here about Mary because she was intent and focused on Christ. He says she had, she's chosen her good portion. She has chosen the good portion. That word portion there really means inheritance, and, and, and it speaks of an inheritance. And, and it's kind of saying this is her legacy. Martha, you're investing. You're investing in service. You're investing in making this great meal, this great banquet, which is, which is overkill. It, it's not completely necessary, but she's chosen a good legacy. She's chosen something that she's going to be remembered for. She's, gonna, she's chosen something that, that's going to be remembered and celebrated far in the future. It will not be taken from her, Jesus says. Listen, if you make other things, women, if you make other things in life supreme, whether it's being a successful career woman or being super mommy, it will be taken from you. It will not satisfy and it will be stripped away. But if you choose Christ as your portion and you work and serve your family, yes, but you do it as unto the Lord and you keep the Lord first in your life and you serve and work for the Lord That will not be taken from you. Women, this means that at a very practical level, and I'll end with this, at a very practical level, you need to prioritize Christ in your life. That's the one necessary thing. It isn't about having 
the perfect kids and the perfect house and all of these things. You need to prioritize communion with Jesus Christ. One thing is necessary.